giving investor music is a very uh, personal thing. And uh, Malcolm spoke to me about this about six weeks ago, I think. And I've done it before online. It's much easier online because you have a computer screen and everybody's far away. But um, so when he asked me to do it to the church, I, I, I said, yes, of course, I'll do it. I hadn't really thought very deeply about that decision because of course, there's a lot more people here. You know, when I did it, it was just men. So there's a lot of manly things we could talk about. And there's a lot of nice ladies in here now. So there's a lot of manly things I can't talk about. <laughs> but um, when I've been a disciple now since 2011, and that's a long time. But um, whenever I'm asked to give my testimony, I, I always examine this question and, um, and I examine what does it mean? And, 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 and mostly it's funny, but every time I think about this question as time passes, I have different answers. I have a different response. I think differently about my testimony every time I'm asked to do it. It's not the same. I don't have the same response to that question. And, um, but the fundamental uh, answers I feel I need to respond to is one, why did I become a disciple? Because I wasn't a disciple. I, I, I thought I was a Christian. Um, I grew up in a family where my mother prayed at home. We used to pray uh, at home. I, I did enjoy that very much. She used to call us all in the evening to pray in the sitting room. She'd still read the Bible and we'd sing songs. Even now we sing songs with my children. So I thought I was a Christian. I was baptized when I was a baby. We used to go to church with my father regularly. To all intents and purposes, I thought I was what? I was a good Christian because I used to go to church. The second question then that then I have to respond to is, why have I remained a disciple? Because it's been 10 years and there's been very many challenges in that time and very many doubts, very many questions. Why should I stick to this? Why should I keep believing? Why should I keep worshiping? Jesus Christ. The third uh, 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 response is, what has changed in me since I became a disciple? What is it, what's different about me now compared to what I was before? Um, and my journey to become a disciple, I think started, it started a long time ago because I suspect that some of the seeds that were planted by my mother uh, helped me not to resist or reject the message when it, it eventually truly came. So I, I had sort of been softened up by that. Um, the second reason I say sometimes I was very lucky. I was just so lucky sometimes. I just, I just look back at some things that have happened and sometimes I think, wow, God was looking out for me. Uh, before we continue, can we pray? Okay. Dear Lord in heaven, I just stand uh, before you with my brothers and sisters in church. I pray that everything I say, that everything that comes out of me, Lord, gives uh, glory uh, to your name. That everything I say, Lord, encourages those who hear me, give me the eloquence and give me the depth. Spiritual depth, like I can communicate why you are so wonderful, why you are so gracious. That everyone understand your power, your influence, your timelessness, Lord, in our lives. I pray for this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, my journey to become a disciple, I'd say, started a long time ago, but in all uh, practical terms, I'd say it started around 2007. And uh, at some point, I'd lived my life a certain way. Then between 2007 and 2011, something happened. And I decided to follow Christ. And the question is, what happened? Why did I choose to follow Christ? Um, I'm going to read a, a scripture from the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 to 19. Now, this is possibly, for some of you, uh, uh, might be awkward. But I, I like this scripture. And, and the title of the scripture in my, in my Bible it says, Simon the Sorcerer. And the word sorcerer has negative connotations. It means there was something either evil or dark or harmful about Simon. When you read the text, it isn't very evident that he was a bad person or that he did bad things. 
but the name Simon the Sorcerer communicates something negative about it. Unfortunately for me, when I read this story, I see a bit of myself in Simon the Sorcerer. So that's the reason I'm going to read this. And, um, you know, take it how you find it. But when I read this, I see a man who was living his life a certain way, who met Philip, decided to follow Philip, for whatever reasons he had. But there was something about Philip that caused Simon to change his life or change what he wanted to do. And it, it goes like this. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But then they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. After that point in my life, in 2007, I'd lived a normal life. I had a great job. I, was, uh, I studied chemistry at the University of Manchester. I had a master's degree. So I, I, I'd eventually taken on a job in sales and marketing, selling, selling chemicals and polymers in, in Britain. Over the years, I became a sales manager. Then over the years, I became European quality director. And I was based in Belgium. And a wonderful job. Then I thought it was a wonderful job. I was paid very well. I used to you know, fly business class. I used to leave home in the morning on Monday to go to work. I leave home at four, get in my car, a nice car, drive all the way to Dover, get onto the Eurotunnel train, under the water, get out of Calais, drive across France, get into Belgium, drive for at least another hour to a place called Elpemer. Elpemer is near Ghent. And I'd be in the office in, in, in Belgium at 10 in the morning. I'd have left home at four. And at 10 in the morning when I arrived, the people who worked for me usually lived within five or six minutes walk from the office. And they turned up to work at nine. So they'd been in the office one hour. I'd been on the road about five, five hours. And then we'd stay in the office. I'd do my job. I used to stay in an apartment. Uh, initially, I used to stay in a hotel. Nice hotel. You know, when you have these jobs, they give you the best of everything. So I used to stay in a nice hotel in Brussels. I used to drive from Edmund to Brussels. I used to stay in this office hotel, beautiful hotel. And, and, and it looked like it was a wonderful life. And then on Thursday night, I'd work all day from nine in the morning to about six, usually later, to about seven, because I, didn't, I wanted to avoid the traffic. Then at six or seven in, in the evening, I'd leave the office. All my staff would have left the office Friday by four or five o'clock. So I'd stay in the office on my own on Friday or on Thursday. Then drive home in the evening, all the way, okay, do the reverse journey. So from Belgium, across Belgium, through France, to Calais, get on, in, onto the Eurotunnel and come back home. I usually, usually end up getting at home at about midnight on Thursday night. And so I had Friday in England, I'd go to the uh, UK office, have the weekend, and then do the same thing the following Monday. And I did that for seven years. <laughs> I did that for seven years. And all my peers thought, wow, Victor, you have a wonderful job. 
you have a nice car. Wow, what, what a life. And, 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 and when I looked at it, I thought, yeah, this is a good life. But it didn't feel like a good life. It didn't feel like a good life. It's strange. It's so strange. Life is so strange. I had all these things, but it didn't feel like a good life. I didn't know what it was. Um, at some point, two things happened. Uh, something per- in my personal life changed drastically, um, um, which I, I will talk about perhaps another time. But secondly, the company I used to work for decided to move from uh, Mer to Arendong, which was almost 100 kilometers away. And in Belgium, it's very interesting. A, a lot of these staff are used to working five or ten minutes away from home. So the idea that you could commute from Erdemer to Arendon just to keep your job was completely out of the way. What did that mean for me? It meant that all my staff resigned. And they were moving to Arendon, which was even further away than that to the Erdemer. At that point, it just wasn't tenable anymore. I, 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 I quit that job, came back to the head office in, in, in England. And soon after, I, I, I left the job. And, 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 and uh, I decided to just find my feet again. At that point, uh, this now was around 2006, I decided, you know what, I want to change. I'd been paid very well. I didn't really need a job at that point for money. I was all right, financially very comfortably, well off. I went to Uganda. I come from Uganda. So I thought, you know what, let's go home. Let's go and discover life. Let's see what it's all about. So I went to Uganda in 2006, hoping that somehow I'd find peace. I'd find joy. I was searching. I, I, I was very angry. I was very frustrated. Um, I did a lot of crazy things. I wasn't a disciple. I met Kaiser's mom. We had a very uh, short relationship. Kaiser was born in 2007. By the end of 2007, I separated from Kaiser's mom. Um, and I was angry. We were in and out of court in Uganda. And life was miserable. Life was miserable. I, I, I had money. I had time. I was angry. I was frustrated. You know, I, I kept, you know, I was staying in my dad's house. I was having fights with my dad regularly. It was just a nasty time in my life. And this is why I say I was so lucky. It just so happens that my friend Roderick, if I don't know if you can put some of the picture. My friend Roderick, aha, uh-huh, that's him, that's a beautiful picture. Roderick is a guy in the blue, in the blue light blue uh, t-shirt. And, and the lady on the right is, 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 to, to, is, is my mom. So that's Roderick in Uganda, my father's house. And that was a Bible study. Okay, I was so lucky that during this moment in my life, Roderick happened to be in Uganda as well. And Roderick lived in England normally, I lived in England normally. But for some reason, his returning home at that time coincided with my returning home at that time. And always I look back and I think, my goodness, the Bible talks about angels. And angels don't come with wings and they don't, you know, flying around with feathers on the back. I think Roderick is my angel. Truly, 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 I think Roderick is my angel from God. Because Throughout this time of conflict and, and extreme anger and, and frustration, Roderick used to come to my house. He doesn't live far away from me. I've known Roderick since we were kids, since we were like nine years old. And he used to jog up and down the road up near where we live. And he used to pop in in the morning, at 10 in the morning, knock on the gate. Hey, Victor, Victor, how are you doing? And I'd open up. I was an disciple. I was angry. I was swearing. I was mad. And every time Roderick was never, ever, not even once, impatient with me. He was never angry. He was always calm. And most remarkably, he was always hopeful. He always said something I'll never forget. He said, Victor, step out on your faith. Step out on your faith. And I, and I didn't understand what he meant. And, and what, all I could picture was, is, is, is I could just imagine what he meant. Is that you, imagine you have a, a stream or a pool of water in front of you. You need to get across to the other end. And there's rocks under this water that you can't see. But if you could step on them, you could make your way across. 
but you can't see them because the water's running across them. So every time Roderick said, step out on your faith, the sense was, I need to gingerly take a risk and step on a rock and I'll get out of my troubles. Now, this was a remarkable time because he, he, he always prayed with me. I was a disciple, but he told my hands, Victor, don't worry, don't worry, Victor, let's pray. And I, and I thought, pray? What, what is this guy talking about? What does he want to pray? I, I need a lawyer. I, I need a good lawyer. <laughs> pray, but, but I've known Roderick all my life. And when he said, let's pray, I responded to that and I'd keep quiet and he'd pray. To be honest, at the time, I thought he was mumbling all his stuff. So I'd keep quiet, wait for his mumbling. He stopped his mumbling and said, Amen. And so I'd say, Amen. Victor, say, Amen. I said, Amen. And this went on and on and on. He'd keep coming. And he always came at that moment when I was deeply anxious, deeply angry. He says, reach out in your faith. It's all going to come to an end. Um, at the same time, Roderick then introduced me to a disciple in Uganda called Martin. If you can flash the pictures. Keep going. When Martin comes up, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Ah, there, go back. Good. M Martin is the big guy in the, in the vest. You see the guy on, on the left next to Roderick? Now those two are my angels. Those two guys are my angels. That's Roderick on the extreme right, and the guy, the big guy in the vest, is Martin. So Roderick would pray with me, but when he came to study the Bible, he passed me over to Martin for Martin to study the Bible with me. I didn't know who Martin was. Martin was just a Christian in Uganda. I wasn't, I didn't really understand. Uh, I thought I was Christian. The thing I didn't understand in my life then, that God had power. Do you understand that? I didn't understand that God could influence or affect your life. Do you understand that? I thought God was some powerful being in heaven. You pray to, and you worship, and you sing songs because he likes that. If you're a good boy, he likes that. But he's far away, and he's not involved in your life. And I suspect a lot of Christians, to be honest, to baptize as children, that's what they think. You go to church, and you pray, and you sing songs with you because you think God likes that. It's a good thing to do. So the idea that you have a relationship with this person you can't see or this being you can't see was completely bizarre. But he introduced, Robert introduced me to Martin. And Martin started studying the Bible with me. And the interesting thing is, in my life, all, all throughout my life when I was at home in Uganda, at my father's house, we had Bibles in the house. I've never studied the Bible. The Bible, in my opinion, was like an encyclopedia. It's a book you went to when you had a, when you had a funeral in church because you need to get scriptures from there that you can use in the service or when you had a baptism. I did realize that the Bible was something you needed to read and learn and make a part of your life. I didn't know that. But Martin started studying the Bible with me. And, um, and why did I become a disciple? I became a disciple, to be honest with you, because I decided... I, why, did I become, why did I decide to follow Christ? I decided to follow Christ. Really, I didn't realize I was going to follow Christ. I decided to follow Martin and Roderick. That was the beginning of my journey. Why did I follow Roderick and Martin? Um, there were so many things about them that, was, that were different. Um, when I started going to the church in Uganda at the time, Roderick would invite me to church, which said the church that was sat here. And the church, like this church, was very different from a, a normal church. Um, I've got to say something. I have 15 minutes. <laughs> and, and, and what I have to say would obviously have to take more than 15 minutes. So I'm just going to quickly go through this comes to the end because 15 minutes is not a lot of time. Um, maybe we need to organize a barbecue and some wine and some beers and then, you know, then, then we can go thrash it all through. But I'll just very quickly go through some, yeah, I'll just go through some things. Um, I, I, when I went to the church, the ICOC church in Uganda is very similar to the church here. And there was, it was dramatically different from the church I grew up in. First of all, in church I knew was always a reverend or a priest who wore a uniform and a collar. So that was my expectation. Two, in a church normally that I grew up in, you sit at the back and you listen to the guy in the front. It was never interactive. That's the church I knew. So I turned up at the church in Uganda, 
and, I, and, and Rodrigo was sat next to me, and then the, the, reverend, the, the evangelist came to the front to speak, and he was dressed just like everybody else. He was dressed casually. And I thought, what, I was a church? This is a bit strange. What kind, of, what kind of church is this? How come he's not wearing a collar or anything? Anyway, I sat there wondering. Then came Holy Communion. And somebody else came up to give the Holy Communion. Again, it was an ordinary guy from the congregation. And I thought, what a strange church. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that. How come, how come somebody who's not a priest or a reverend is standing at the pulpit speaking to the congregation? I've never come across that before. But it was also amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But for the first time in my life, somebody stood up in front of the church and spoke to me, and he spoke to me about normal things. I was able to relate to them. The guy who spoke was Alex Abone. And Alex was, 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 was just a, a disciple in the church in Uganda. And he spoke about his life. When he, spoke, when he did the Holy Communion, he spoke about his life. He spoke about Christ. He spoke about God's sacrifice. And he related that to his life. And whenever he spoke about his life and the challenges of his life, I related to that. And I thought, this is a nice church. I, I like what I'm hearing. It's interesting and it's personal. Secondly, when the evangelist spoke, it was Richard Ahenda. When Ahenda spoke, he was also very, very different. It reminded me of management seminars and meetings that we'd had in England when I used to go for training. Because he was, he was talking about problems in your life and how to overcome problems in your life. But he was using the Bible. And I thought, this is different. This is so interesting. I, I, I like this. Secondly, Roderick sat next to me in, in, in the church. And for the first time, <laughs> for the first time, he sat next to me. And when the, uh, the evangelist said, we're going to read out of Mark chapter 9, verse X, Y, Z, Roderick opened a Bible. I thought, okay, this is interesting. And he opened the Bible to the bit that, the, the, that the Richard was speaking to, and he gave it to me. I ha- the, 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 the intention was for me to follow and to read the text that, that, that Richard was, was referring to. And, and I'd never done that in my life before. I'd never done that. And I've been a Christian most of my life, but I'd never ever opened the Bible in church and read it as, 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 as the evangelist was preaching. And, and then I suddenly discovered, oh my goodness, these stories are wonderful. Then the book of Samuel, David. The book of Samuel is like reading a story about Rambo. I love the book of Samuel. I love the action. And often when Roderick would open the Bible and give it to me, and usually the, 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 the evangelist would just read a little bit from the script, but I would continue because the story was so exciting. So I'd stay reading, I'd, I'd look, I'd stay, stay reading, and the guys continue. But here I was reading the story. Wow, what a wonderful story. And then Roderick would come in, come on, we finished, and I need to go back and, and pay attention. You know? but, but, so slowly I was introduced to the Bible, to the stories in the Bible. It was fantastic. Um, why did I become a disciple? Martin was one of the reasons I became a disciple. In these two, Roderick and Martin, in these two of them, I saw something I'd never really seen before. Um, both Martin and Roderick were extremely sacrificial, extremely patient, extremely polite. Remember, I was a disciple. I was a raw human being. I used to swear, I used to say this, and I was angry, but they were always patient, always polite, always hopeful. And I just couldn't figure it out because, because they, they never get, they couldn't explain it. It, it isn't that they, were, they had the means to pay for that or get great laws and do this, but they believed in something that I didn't really understand. But that thing, they were always patient, they were always polite, they were always hopeful. And for me, this is like fresh water. At that point in my life where I was, to meet someone who was always hopeful, always faithful, always polite, always patient with you, just moved me in so many ways. And so I listened and I followed them. Um, they were completely committed. They believed completely that all the problems in their lives could be resolved by God. Believe in the Bible, study the Bible, follow the Bible, and all the issues in your life are going to be resolved if you are a good disciple, if you follow the teachings in this. 
Roderick said to me that the Bible is the manual of your life. And I thought, what does it mean? He gave me examples. If you buy a DVD, the DVD comes with the manual. The manual's instructions to show you how to use the DVD. This Bible is the Word of God. And the Word of God is the manual of your life. So slowly, these little things, the Bible is the manual of your life, slip out on your face. Slowly, these things started to touch my heart. Um, I remember once we had started, we used to live, I used to live with Sarah, and um, we had started having Bible studies in my house. And I loved Bible studies. Why? Because we used to cook tea, we had bread, we had cookies, we had friends around. I like friends. I like people coming around and asking, eating stuff. And, and, and the Bible studies, for me, I like answering questions, I like discussions, I like you know, intellectual debate, and I loved Bible studies. Because these guys would come in, and they'd, 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 they'd open a scripture, they'd ask a question, and the house was full of 20 people, and then we have to ask them, why do you think Paul did that? Why do you think Simon did that? And I loved that. And, and we used to do this regularly in Munyanya. People used to come to our house for these Bible studies. And I remember one day, this moment will always, always stick in my mind. <laughs> It sounds a bit strange now when I say it, but I was really moved by this, and it, it probably sounds very bland. But looking back, this moved me. Martin had a business, he had a trucking business, and uh, uh, he had a truck, and this truck, he'd hire the truck out <coughs> in Kasese, far away from Kampala, almost 200 miles away. And this was his only source of income. And uh, his truck had an accident, it fell over. It must have fallen over, I think, on a Monday. And we'd been planning this Bible discussion for the Friday, I think. So when this truck fell over, it was his only source of income. I knew, oh my goodness, Martin, you need to go down to Kasese immediately to go fix this. You need to take care of business because this is the only source of income for you and your family. And he said, yes, I'm going to go. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very kind. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I wasn't a disciple. I was having Bible studies in my house. I wasn't a disciple yet. Okay. But um, so the truck falls over. Life continues during the week. We have this appointment for a Bible study on Friday, and I'm looking forward to having friends. I, I knew Martin was definitely not going to come. Roderick might come. There was always a good crowd of Sarah. And remember, we still yeah, we used to have fun with tea and cakes and jam and bread and friends and questions and Bible studies. I used to love that. I love that. I love that. Anyway, it's the evening, 7 o'clock. Uh, the Bible study starts. And to my amazement, I think within an hour of it, Martin walks in. And I don't hang on. What are you doing here, Martin? I thought you'd gone to Kasese. And he said, Victor, I couldn't go. I couldn't go because I had to be with you in this Bible study. And I thought, what? At the time, it sounded like a stupid thing to do because I thought, this is just a Bible study. It's just a Bible study. We're just reading stuff and asking questions and all that stuff. 
That's your income. That's your business. That's your life. You have a children. You have Trisha. You have Terry. You got to go take care of business. But he said, no, 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 Victor. This is more important. This is more important. The Bible study, being with you, studying the word of God is more important than my life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And you can imagine the life I'd come from. You know, like I came from a business environment, you know, margins and, and, and revenue and, and profit and shares. It was aggressive. And, and he was a guy who was saying, don't worry about the money. Not for now. God's going to take care of it. I can go next week or the week after. But this Bible study in your house, I have to be here. And that was such a moving thing. I, I, even now, I remember, I think, wow, how did he do that? There's another thing Martin used to do. We used to have uh, the church in Uganda. Could you move on with the slide? I don't know the pictures. Uh, continue. 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 Uh, go, go back. Go back. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what to stop. There. Stop there. Go back. Go back. Come on. That one. Now, after the church in Uganda, now where I'm sat, that's my sister. And those two little kids you see, who, who can guess who they are? Yeah. That's right. The boy on the right without any hair is Lurel. No, Lurel. Lurel is the, the guy who plays the cello. And the girl in the green t-shirt, the baby, is Kana. Yeah, that's Kana and Lurel. And that's my sister, Viola. So, um, where she sat, where my sister sat, is outside the, uh, we, we, uh, St. John's Island is a big hall. But outside is this uh, pavement, and we used to sit on there. And uh, after every service, family groups would, would separate outside and sit and discuss the agenda for the following week. What are, what are we going to do as a family group? Are we going to have a Bible study? Are we going to reach out? Are you praying with someone? Can I come and pray with you? What, what are we doing in the following week? So on that pavement you see is where we used to sit with Martin. And Martin said, you know what, guys? We need to go to the hospital and, and, and pray for those sick people in the hospital and, and, and give them hope. And he's not in the picture, but I, that's just a, a, an impression of where those discussions used to take place. And, and I remember when he said this, I thought, okay, you want to go to church? You want to go to the hospital and, give, and pray for some sick people? I said, fair enough. I'm going to come with you. And he says, yeah, Victor, come with us. We're going to do it next uh, Sunday straight after church. So the following Sunday straight after church, we gathered again. We drove to the hospital, and then he briefed us. Now, the amazing thing for me then, remember, I was not a disciple. The amazing thing for me then was, first of all, these guys didn't have any money. Most of these people were broke. They didn't have any money. Two, going to the event in church, to, to going to the hospital after the service was going to take two or three hours. They didn't have any money. It wasn't very well planned or very well organized. And, and in my mind, I was asking, what's in it for them? Why are they doing this? Nobody's paying them. Nobody sent them. Nobody's invited them. And remember, you know, I've, I've lived in it, grown up in England a long time in my life, uh, for a long time. So I have these questions in my mind. Who's invited you to the hospital? <laughs> have you got permission? These people you're going to talk to, do you know them? You don't know them. You're just a stranger who's going to turn up and start talking about God. Martin, do you think this is a good idea? <laughs> I didn't ask the question, but in my mind, I thought this is a strange thing. This is going to bomb out. This is not going to work out. But we turn up outside the hospital, and then he'd say, okay, guys, we now need to collect some money because we need to buy some milk, some sugar, and some bread to give to the sick people in the hospital. And these people didn't have any money. So people would take out a rukumi. Rukumi, a thousand shillings is about uh, 25 pence. Yeah, so, so 25 pence, 25 pence, <laughs> 25 pence. And I looked at this and said, my goodness, how, how long is it going to take before, before we have enough money? Fortunately, I have the high money. So we'd contribute to it all. We'd give it to Brenda. Brenda would go buy milk, sugar, and, uh, and bread, put it into little packets. He'd split the group. It was a group of uh, 15 people, 16 people. So he'd split the group into two groups of eight people each. And we'd go up towards seven or eight. And he'd say, okay, 
uh, Roderick, you go with that group. Victor, you come with me, we're going to go for this group. So Martin would then go to these wards. These wards were like dormitories with these patients on their beds, and these patients had their helpers. So if you split this, this room in, in half, you'd have beds on one side and beds on the other side with sick people and the patients looking up and, and the carers looking after them. And Martin would walk in, and I was just thinking, oh my goodness, you're not invited? They don't know you? Oh my God, Martin, this is going to be so embarrassing. What are we doing here? And he just walk in and said, Guys, we're, we're so happy to see you. We've come to pray for you. And I cringed. Martin, 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 what are you doing? And I cringed. And to my amazement, these patients who did know Martin would look at him with hope. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And Martin would say, okay, we've come to pray for you. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to bless you. We're going to pray for you. And then we're going to go. Do you want us to pray for you? And the guy, people say, yes, Mutsabi, pray for us, pray for us. And so Martin would, would start singing. He's very charismatic. He knows a lot of songs in his head. He's a bit like you. We could just sing. And we sing these songs that we sang in church. But now he's on a hospital ward singing these songs. And I'm thinking, oh, my skin. Oh, what are you doing here singing these songs in this church? Oh. But he started singing these hymns and clapping and singing these hymns and clapping. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And these patients loved it. Then he moved from bed to bed praying for these people, praying for these sick people. And they had such hope. The thing with me, I wasn't a disciple. I, used to, I thought, hang on, he's not giving them any money. He's not a doctor. He's not giving them any treatment. He's not giving them any medicine. Why are they so hopeful? Why are they so happy? He sang some songs. He said some stuff. But why are they hopeful? Why are they happy? Why are they moved by these words and these songs? Why are they moved? It just didn't make sense at the time. And he did that. And then at the end, after praying for them, after um, uh, singing the songs, he then gave them the sugar and the bread. And this, this was great. They, they loved that. But I could see at that point, and I think this is, what, what, this is why I like the scripture about Simon the sorcerer, is that I, I suddenly started to see that there was more to this than met the eye. There was something else going on here beyond just the bread and the prayers and the songs. There was another spirit. There was something else going on here that I didn't understand. And I was curious and I was inquisitive, but I was mostly, I was impressed. And mostly I thought, you know what? I want to be with these guys. I want to do what Martin does. I want to do what Roderick does. I like what they're doing. I want to be with them. I want to be one of them. Because the thing they were doing was wonderful. I didn't understand it, but I could see its effect on the people around them in the church. So that was extremely uh, moving. Then the other thing that moved me was um, planting the church in Luero. Luero is about 70 kilometers away from Kampala. And they made a decision. The church in Uganda is a little bit different in that the family group leaders are almost at the same level as the evangelists. It's almost autonomous. It's like a federal type thing. So the family group leaders have the ability to make a decision like that. If they feel, if they have a sense. So Kalinte, Simbogo, Martin would have an idea. They discuss among themselves, family group leaders, and if they agree there's something they wanted to do, they would then go to the evangelist for his blessing. And if the evangelist says, yes, guys, proceed with it, they would then proceed with it. So planning the church in Luera came out of something like this. The family group leaders had an idea, they had a discussion, the evangelist blessed it, and they made a decision to go and plant the church in Luera. Now, Luera is 70 kilometers away. How are you going to do this? There's no budget in Uganda for planting a church. I know that in England, when you want to plant a church in Wales, you know, Andrew Agabak has a huge budget, he has a huge plan, they choose people, they allocate salaries, they give you money to find a house and stuff like that. In Uganda, there's no such thing. So the people who make a decision to plant the church have to physically actually fund the process out of their own pockets. And again, I thought, what's in it for you? What's in it for you? Why are you doing this? It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's expensive. What's in it for you? 
Why are you doing this? Um, we'd meet on Tuesday. You just imagine a working day. They'd, make, they'd say, guys, let's meet at the church on Tuesday at 3. So you have to give up your work. Turn up, say, for instance, you turn up here. We'd get in the car and drive to Bristol. Just imagine that. Just imagine you and I made a decision. You know, let's go plant a church in Bristol. And we come here on Tuesday afternoon. Osagi, you turn up. You turn up. You turn up. Nine of us would turn up here on Tuesday afternoon. Working day, you take time off. And then we drive to Bristol. And when they drove to Rubero, they didn't know anyone there. They were not invited. <laughs> they just turned up in Luero, they'd park the car. I remember going with Martin, he said, take our motor car. We'd park the car. And I think Parker could, let's go out and, and, and fish for men. You know, Victor, like in the Bible, let's go fish for men. And I thought, what are we doing here, guys? Let's just go reach out. I said, reach out to who are you going to talk to? And it was five o'clock when we start. And I th- in my mind, I'm thinking, the people you're reaching out to, it's five o'clock, they've just finished their work, they're going home, they've probably got to prepare dinner, they've probably got kids to look after, they probably have a plan for the evening. And you're going to reach out to these people and ask them to come for a Bible study in the middle of, the, of, of their agenda. Who's going to turn up? And that's what they did. So they'd get out of the car, they'd stop, they'd speak to strangers. And this is the thing, they just speak to strangers. Hey, hello, hey, how are you, sir? Uh, have you heard of God? Do you know the Bible? Do you study the Bible? We'd like to invite you for a Bible study at the hotel. It starts at 5. It starts at 5, 30, 30 minutes. So go finish whatever you're doing and come to the, to, to the, uh, to the hotel. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to have some sodas and some teas so we can study the Bible with you. And that's essentially was, 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 was their script. And they would invite one person, the second person, the third person. And they would do this continuously for about 30 minutes. So they'd reach out for about 30 minutes from 5, say, to 5.30. Then at 5.30, we'd go back to the hotel. Now, this hotel was a hotel that we had bought. So when you arrive in the weather, you, go to, you find a hotel. You, we, we'd contribute money out of our own pockets. You know, how much money do you have? I have 10,000, 20,000. Okay, that's enough money. Let's buy some sodas. Let's pay the hotel. Let's get some chairs. We'll take the chairs out of the hotel, put them out in the compound, in the garden, say 17, 17 chairs. For the guests, strangers we don't know, that we hope will come. You know, when you're not a disciple, when you've not been a part of anything like this, this is so bizarre. This is so bizarre. It just didn't make sense. But it was remarkable. The people they reached out to on the street would come. I remember, I think, the first time that we did it, we had about 17 guests. 17 strangers turned up. 17 strangers gave up their hour in the evening Unplanned, impromptu, they just turned up and they'd come to a Bible study. I don't even know if they knew what a Bible study was, you know, but these people would turn up and they'd sit and we go through, I love Bible study, you know, somebody would read a scripture and ask a question and it was so interactive. It was so wonderful. The questions, some questions were ridiculous, some questions were funny, so it was, but it was an experience in learning. And again, I thought, why are these people here? Why are these people here? Again, Having come from England, I just thought, I mean, if I had walked up and down Bryant Street in where I live, and I invited a, a, a bunch of these strangers I didn't know, and said, you know what, can you take half, a day, half an hour of your life and come to the Bible study? How many people here would turn up? How many people who didn't know me, didn't know the church, would simply turn up and listen to the word of God? And these people did. And, that, I, and again, I thought, there's something else here. There's something I can't see. Because, you know, in England, I was used to people selling Amway, Kirby vacuum cleaner, so I knew what sales was, you know, selling features and benefits. But I couldn't understand what the features and benefits of this was. But people always turned up. And over time, as people were turning up, um, the church grew. From these Bible studies, we used to do a Bible study, I think, every two weeks. Uh, and eventually we started a church. And there's a church in the world that's been running now for nearly eight years. And if you scroll to the, through the pictures, 
I went back, yeah, so go back in, go back in. So that's a picture of, this is now, this was a Sunday after the service. And these are some of the young people that are in the church. In the world, this is not the church, this is outside the church. In fact, we're outside somebody's house. So these are some of the young people in the church who are now part of that congregation. This, and all this came through that process. And for me, when I asked the question, um, why did I become a disciple? Being a part of these experiences, setting up the church in the world, going to the hospital, and seeing that people were being touched by something, something more than I could see, really, really moved me. Really, really moved me. Um, and these events, to be honest, uh, my experience, they, when I look back at the spirit, for me, it's, it's like my book of Acts. The book of Acts for me is the spirit in Uganda. Going to the hospital, going to nowhere, reaching out, you know, baby showers and all these events we used to have in, in Uganda, reaching out to people. And, and it, it, it just planted a deep, deep, strong conviction in me that there was somebody out there, somebody powerful, who cared and loved us, who was on our side, who could do things I couldn't explain. And uh, um, soon after the Ruero, soon after the church, uh, my Bible study uh, got to the point where they asked me to become baptized. It's interesting, I didn't want to be baptized. No, because I was baptized as a baby. I just didn't want to know. I said, Roderick, why do I need to be baptized again? It's been done already. My father's going to hate this. My mother's going to hate this. Why do I need to do this? I believe everything you say. I'm going to do everything you want, but I don't want to be baptized. Roderick, I don't want to go into that water. I just don't want to do it, Roderick. Why do I need to do it? And they explained it to me, and they explained it to me, that it's your witness, it's evidence that you believe, and stuff like that. And eventually, it did make sense, and I was baptized. And I became a disciple. And, and the journey of what my wife and I had been studying the Bible with Martin and, and, and his wife Flavia and Roderick and his wife Brenda. And you're going to see pictures of that, if you can scroll through the pictures. So that's, continue. Yeah, so that's, 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 and when they said, we're going to, let's make a date for your baptism, where do you want to go? I said, Lake Victoria, when you're, that's where I want to be baptized. So that's Lake Victoria in the background. That's half of the baptism, scroll through again. Yeah, that's now, can you see that? So, um, the lady holding the bag is Brenda. Yeah. The lady, the, the, the gentleman, Roderick, holding her shoulder, so Roderick and Brenda are my angels. Roderick and Brenda and Martin are my angels, and that's me and Sarah after being baptized in the Munyoni on the, uh, on the 28th of, of September. Score again. That's the Bible. He gave me that Bible. I was supposed to bring it today, but we were rushing. I forgot to bring it, but I have it at home. And that, that again, now that's Brenda in England. So we came back to England in 2013, and the reason I say these are my angels, we're still in touch. That's Brenda. This was uh, at the Logan Hall in London. You know, Brenda was a disciple in England uh, for many years. She comes from St. Lucia. Uh, and that's her, that's Sarah. Now that's Kana. Sarah's holding Kana in England. And the, the guy who writes is Tom Pudge. He, he lives in Uganda, he's a friend of mine. Okay. I put that in there just to show that Brenda and Martin are still a part of our lives. Scroll again. Yeah, that's Roderick and Brenda. That's Kaiser. That's Ray. That's Kana. Those are early days here. We just come. 2013, we just come back to England. These guys are huge now. Kaiser's taller than I am. <laughs> you see? Yeah. So that's Kana. Now, this is last week. This is just last week. Roderick and Brenda were here. So that's Roderick and Brenda. And this is Eugene. Some of you might know Eugene, I think, from the south side. Yeah. And that's me. And that's me. And that's been my journey. That's been my journey. I hope that what I've uh, shared um, has touched some of you or has made sense or maybe have questions. But like I said, 
this thing is best on a barbecue with some wine. <laughs> End this time, and then you can share, and you can ask questions. And, 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 and so I became a disciple. What's changed in me? I think the thing I had, I, I had a lot of pride. I had a lot of pride in me, you see? And I, and I think a lot of the anger I had was because of my pride. You know, um, I've been raised a particular way, and, and, and I always believe that if you, if you have this and achieve that and achieve this and do this, therefore now you are an important person and, and, and you, 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 you're a big guy. And, and, and I was frustrated that I'd achieved all these things. I had no joy. I had no peace in my life. I was very angry. So I realized that, and I think the thing that I've lost, not lost, I continue to fight with is my pride and my anger. My pride and my anger. I think that if you said, what has changed in me, I have now better control of my pride. I'm aware of it when, when, when it raises its ugly head. And my anger, I, 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 I can handle my anger, but I don't know my anger, but I, I'm much better at that. Um, if you click through the pictures again, back, go back. I don't know if there's a picture. Let me see what I. Continue, 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 continue. Yeah, that's Bible study at my house. My mother passed away in 2020. 2020, 2020. Yeah, uh, she passed away. So that's one of the dead. That's my father's house in Kampala. He was studying the Bible with my parents. Go back again. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's my story. Thanks so much, Victor. Uh, that came from the heart, and that's what really matters. Um, I'm just going to read a scripture, then I'm going to ask Esther to come and uh, pray for us before we take bread and wine. One of the things that struck me that you said, Victor, is how, is how significant hope is. And I read something this week that the most influential person in a room is the person who has hope. It's not necessarily the person with the greatest intelligence or money or authority in terms of some position. It's the person with hope who has influence. I thought that's really true in terms of long-term healthy influence. And we're here because we have hope. We have hope in what God has already done and will do. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope. We live in hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we take bread and wine, we're celebrating that. So Esther, would you like to come up and pray for us and then we'll take some bread and wine together.